0: Welcome, Chop Shop listeners, as we peruse the latest in the archives from the crisis of 2020.
1: This is from Sherry Michaels of Colleyville Citizens, opposed to high density. It brings me a lot of grief to make this post today, but I feel it is important to update you on a recent loss in my family. We lost our youngest daughter, Natalie, three days ago to COVID-19. We were incredibly blessed by God to enjoy our play cultist days before she got sick going to parks, eating at local restaurants, and hanging out with other fellow play cultists, which would not have been possible if Texas hadn't opened up. Watching my eight-year-old daughter on a ventilator was difficult to watch as mother, but also as a mother, I am glad I was able to teach her the importance of upholding Christian, play cultist, constitutional values in her short time on earth. And for this reason, I am proud of our local government in this time of local media, liberal media indoctrination. Hashtag, masks are unconstitutional. Hashtag, stand with Collieville.
2: <laughs> <sighs> By the way, that is a North Carolina mid-accent, uh, atlantic accent. Um, you didn't quite get it right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do a Texas accent.
2: Uh, ask cat. No, no, I. I'm from Florida. I can't do that one. I can do Tennessee. I can do Florida, but I can't do Texas, especially not Central Texas, which is where this is. By the way, it's um some shitty little bedroom community in the Dallas. Fort Worth conurbation. Uh, I don't think it's too much
1: of a difference. We're not quite at, you know, Yugoslavia Balkan levels yet.
0: Yet. (laughs) Uh, It's just so like...
2: It's just (laughs) really like fucking... This is like fucking
0: flagellants in the Black Death shit. This is like... Are, are we going to see people, like, <laughs> parading in the streets with sackcloth hoods, whipping themselves into a frenzy? Like, is that next?
2: No, it's too hot for that. Come on, it's like, it's central fucking Texas. Nobody's got time for that shit. <laughs> but it would totally on the lips. It would totally on the lips. We're gonna do it with Bible study groups. Ah yes a nice viral video of them whipping themselves in times you uh, know in sync with chance to ripple
0: <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Welcome to Chop Shop Economics
2: We read this shit so you don't have to. I'm Miss Silver. r Doctor Spider.
1: I am Death, the nuclear annihilation of all life on this planet.
2: That's something surprisingly likely these days. <sighs> it, it's <sighs> been just that kind of
0: week. Of like, this isn't quite like the shit that went down in March, where the market just, like, jumped off a cliff and things really started to kick off, but this is sort of feeling like the week before that, you know?
2: Ooh. Yeah.
0: Um... And we can see this in the (laughs) passage of the White Horse. As COVID is spiking across the United States of America and Brazil. And uh, the United how Kingdom bad are we history. talking? Because it was pretty crazy last week. Texas has surpassed the total number of infections records set by New York. And it's showing absolutely no well, signs of slowing down. Um, you
1: know what they say in Texas. We always go big in Texas.
2: <laughs> I thought it was don't mess with Texas. <laughs> eh, either or. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, all these... plagues are go- no respecters and niceties. Texas will be messed with whether they like it or not. <laughs> and this is
0: the same thing that happened in Sweden. Because Sweden didn't lock down and then things looked okay for about like... A month, and then everything went off the rails.
2: Yeah. And it probably helped that they were more willing over there to at least pretend to social distance for a bit. Like, that didn't even really happen here. They kind of had to be pushed into it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, I, I remember this, like, there was this one Twitter, like, rant where somebody pointed out that per capita, Texas now has more infections than Bangladesh.
2: How the fuck do you manage that?
0: So, yeah. that That's where... And, and this is... So, like, and economically, this means any hopes of a re... On top of that, you know, a lot of people are now about to die needlessly. Um, is economically anything pretending to be a recovery is going to collapse. You already have, like, the governor of Texas actually, like, shutting down the bars um, by state order. Um, And the health department in Florida going around behind the governor's back to do the exact same thing. Um,
1: And keep in mind, this is on top of Texas's oil economy collapsing in a very bloody death. So, what exactly industry do they have left here? They're fucked. They're utterly fucked.
0: Yeah, like the little uh. Silicon Valley around Austin <laughs> is not
2: going to do it. Well, they still got a pretty nice repository now. They, they sold most of that. They had to uh and besides, one retro computing warehouse is not going to keep the economy going. We all know
1: And the that. thing is that we do have to realize about the tech industry is that it is so dependent on ad revenue, and I feel like there's something that happened with the advertising industry recently. I just, it's at the tip of my tongue. Uh, oh, Doc, can you, can you explain you I, I, I think it rhymes with
0: fuckerberg.
2: Um... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the Zuck was like originally, well, we're not going to control hate speech. It's not our job. I don't care. And but in, you know, the whiniest, um, you know, resentful Harvard nerd voice that you can imagine. Um, I mean,
1: (laughs) this dude is is full on, like, Shonda Ferdigoyam Like, this guy is literally disgracing all Jews everywhere. Like, like, he won't even fucking regulate Nazi fucking hate speech on fucking Facebook. Like, what the fuck? Like, this dude's
0: a fucking capo. It gets worse. He actually, like, hired a um, there was, like, some regulator or something coming after him, and he hired a fucking, like, right-wing hit job group to claim that attempts to regulate Silicon Valley were funded by George
2: Soros. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. But... That hospital donation
0: was fucking blood money. Yeah.
2: So, part of it, it, it's a whole it comes down to, like, a whole bunch of factors, really. Um, But advertisers are pulling their money. Part of that is because, well, you know, COVID. um, It's, you know, it's doing a number on advertising budgets and, like, you know, that's, that's one of the first expenses you have to, you pretty much have to cut, especially if you're not a large market cap where you can at least, like, shuffle around a a little money to keep, you know, advertising going this quarter, um, like, if you're, if you're much smaller than that, yeah, it's time to get out of Facebook ads, um, it's arguable that they had any effect, um, Doc, weren't you
1: mentioning that the numbers seemed very finicky and weird-ass shit when you advertised your own book on the website?
0: Yeah. It's really yeah. fucking, like, it, it is kind of like they give you these number projections based on, like, the audiences you use, and I've seen this for other stuff, too, for, like, promoting other pages and shit, but they'll give you this thing, like, oh, yeah, this will totally hit, like, 60,000 people or whatever, but there's... No, like, the only, like, actual hard metrics you have in social media are likes, follows, reposts, comments, you know, shit like that. Um, And it's uh, never in proportion to what the ads are Mm. claiming to be reaching. Like, there's no proportionality whatsoever. And there's, like, a thing that's been increasingly reported on, that, like, Facebook ads really are just kind of a little bit bullshit. So, I mean, add that with... The fact that the first company to, like, kick off this wave of people ditching Facebook was Honda, who is eating a mountain of shit right now. Like, auto sales are dead in the water worldwide. Like, the auto industry right now is collectively figuring out how the fuck they're not going to just die. So, of course, they're going (laughs) to cut this easy expenditure.
2: It really doesn't help that Facebook... Facebook actually makes it very difficult to advertise with them if you're not a super large account. I've, I've personally heard some real horror stories about things like you have to use a personal account to do much of anything with Facebook advertising to the point where they're like well you have to like make it um an employee account and it's like at this point i think a lot of them are just jumping ship because facebook is so user hostile to their advertisers to begin with and you see so you might as well you, know, you might as well say well it's really it's because of black lives matter or it's covid or it's this or that but the truth is is well, we don't want to fuck with this anymore, and this is this is a good excuse to get out. Besides, there's no money in the budget. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it's and, and, and like the meat, but it, like even though that all this shit is easily verifiable, this is shit that like I think the case of like Facebook's used like advertising being like finicky, unpredictable, and difficult to work with. This is shit that goes back years and is well documented, um, as is the Coke and. Honda and all these other big companies that are bailing on Facebook are also ones who are currently in a lot of trouble. Um, it's like it's just kind of almost astonishing, but also predictable that all of the press would go after the whole like freeze peaches shit.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And holy fucking shit! That's not. And we're not just talking about uh, about Facebook here. I mean, let's also bring up. Um, I just found this article. Um, so Google will see there is will see a five point three drop percent in U.S. advertising revenue in 2020, which marks their first decline in ad revenue growth. Since the research firm EMarketer began modeling the business in 2008, fuck. Like we're not just like, like when you look at the corporate media talking about Facebook and saying that this is all about hate speech. Like, yeah, that's the that's the excuse that they're using, and that yes, that is partly true, but mm-hmm. that's just it's a pretext. This is ultimately just covering over that the advertising industry is collapsing and the entire tech industry has been so dependent on advertising to make any sort of a profit for years and years and
2: years and years that I mean, Google is basically an advertising company that happens to have a search engine and a operating system research division attached to it. <laughs> yeah,
0: And this is like, and this is why shit blew up so bad during the dot-com bubble and The only thing that's going to really be left of tech is enterprise tech. You know, the people that make the operating systems and make... I could see
1: Amazon surviving given so much of their business is in the cloud and not necessarily with, like, everything else. Yeah. So it's, it's enterprise by design.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, they will survive, but most of tech is going to be, like, falling apart. And we've got even more showing that finance has just completely shot the bed. Like, the FDIC, as of June 29th, is not going to be releasing quarterly reports on the status of banks that they are insuring. And like, <laughs> wait, 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 wait,
1: wait. Doc, repeat that. Can, can Did my ears hear what they just heard?
0: Yes, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. The thing that says your account is protected to up to $250,000 in the event of a bank failure, will no longer be publishing their regular quarterly reports on the health of banks that they are insuring.
1: Okay, if you are a listener, like obviously don't take what we say, what we say as financial advice, but with that disclaimer in mind... If you haven't pulled your money out of the stock market, if you're not hiding under a mattress and investing it in beans and crops and bullets and guns and, well, connecting with your neighbors, I don't know what else else you should be doing because things are bad.
0: Or at least moving your money into a credit union because they don't do this kind of stupid, risky, idiotic bullshit. You know. At the minimum. I mean, if you're... Like, if you want to, like, at least pretend to have some money for a hot minute.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just... I don't... I don't know why they're hiding this. I guess all of the majors are fucked right now. I mean, that's probably going to be it. But it's it's like, we don't know. And it has has to be bad
0: for them to do this. Like, I don't think they've ever actually done this before. And and not just that they're doing this, but that they're public. (laughs) This isn't like we suddenly get a leaked version of the report discovering that it was written and buried. This is more like... The fucking mob has pulled up in front of your house with a body in the back of a pickup truck and they're shouting at you, hey, so this is your cousin, we just whacked him and we're going to go dump him in the Charles River.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my fucking god. God. So I'm going to make the prediction that we're going to see a bank run. If, yeah. not, if if the FDIC is just stopping quarterly reports altogether, the numbers must be so bad enough that we're at real risk of a bank run. And we haven't seen a bank run in... Doc, how, how long has it been, been since we've seen a, a bank run in the U.S.?
0: There were some small-scale bank runs in the 1970s and some localized banking failures... And that was during the whole, like, stagflation, oil shock period. Um, But, yeah, the last time you saw, like, a serious run on the banks was, like, you know, 1929. 1930. Like, a serious, like, system-wide people are stuffing their money in mattresses.
2: Like, back in 2008, 2009, um, there were some worries about that kind of thing happening, but the damage was largely confined to banks with a relatively small market cap. Um, basically, <laughs> the FDIC stepped in, uh, everybody changed out their, um, their debit cards, and everything was fine. Um, I'm not sure that we'll be able to repeat that. I'm not sure. I just, I don't know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I, the the money printer seems to be sputtering. So
2: yeah, there's some buildup and it yeah rollers smell faintly. Thunder.
0: And if you have a bank run, then you will probably also have a run
2: on the dollar. Bye-bye. By the way, we are not <laughs> encouraging a bank run. No. Um, bank runs tend to happen off their own
0: accord. It's really and... kind of impossible to incite a bank run. Like, in the in this day and age. Like, you maybe could have been able to pull it off in, like, the local agricultural bank in, like, the 1860s or something. But, yeah. not now. So, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> um, and following on that is the tread of the Red Horseman. Which starts with our usual reminder to be extremely careful with the shitlibs as we saw. Yeah with the mayor of st
2: louis so the mayor went and doxed a whole bunch of people on live live internet television basically um all because they wanted um police defunded um
0: Content warning discussion of rape and I'm sexual sure if assault. If you wish in, to skip this portion of the podcast, please fast it forward to twenty three
2: thirty-five. I just don't wanna, you know.
1: Wait, what um, are you referring to? <sighs>
2: Oh. The city counselors um more about raped um that case, yeah. Um the rapist uh mistook her neighbor um for her and explicitly mentioned um that it was about this oh. before raping her. I don't know if I want to put that in but
0: yeah this is political intimidation this is these guys are this is the process of the far right is and the American right in general is talking itself into using openly using extra legal methods
1: and we're not just talking about like some like you know Plinky dink militia out you know out in the wilderness that that basically tried to get the city council member of Minneapolis was it Minneapolis raped? in um, yeah. St. Louis raped it wasn't just some like militia it was the fucking now, this police was Louis. that was like you know advertising the, the supposed address of the city council member for you know for like weeks and weeks until, like, some fucking asshole decided to be a rapist and targeted, you know, targeted the neighbor, thinking that was the city council member.
0: Yeah. And, and, or like that time that the NYPD arrested the mayor's daughter at a Black Lives Matter protest and then posted her personal information on Twitter. Yeah. The whole all but frightening to
2: Epstein de to Blasio's kids.
0: Yeah. So yeah, and, and it needs to be said the mayor of St. Louis is a Democrat.
2: Oh, yes. Now her excuse was that, like, well, it's public record, um, so I don't have to reject names or addresses. I can just read those into the record. It's fine. And it's like, that's true, but you shouldn't do that. Was, the thing
1: is, when she got confronted about doing this, and you know, she literally said that it was because she got frustrated about like them tar- about like protesters showing up at her house or apartment. So it was like she explicitly said this was retaliation when she was confronted on this fucking like disaster shit show.
0: Yeah. So this is just yeah. The just yeah. you got to remember this, this as we're getting into this kind of scale of years of to Yugoslavia situation. Any like you know, elected official is saying they're saying, Oh, I'm so liberal, I'm so progressive, could potentially pull that shit. Mm-hmm. And it's important to be organized enough so that that isn't a problem, yeah.
1: And just be very careful to keep security culture in mind. Like, if you go to a protest, make sure that, like, your identity is not easily exposed. Like, be careful with what information you put out there, because we are entering into rough and dangerous times, and any information that they can get their hands on can and will be weaponized against you.
0: Yeah. And we just saw this in Seattle, where... There yeah. was now confirmed a second drive-by shooting and attack on Chop by what basically looked like a couple of far-right extremists in a truck.
1: But um, Baruch Hashem, the uh, the security at, at Chop, uh, formerly known as the CHAZ, was able to stop the was able to stop the car and capture the far-rightists.
0: Hmm. which yeah th- this is what we're getting into and this is what we need to be ready for these are people who are tapping into the whole midnight rider kind of thing like instead of doing the whole like brown shirts approach of marching in big columns instead they're going for like small like you know terror attacks kind of thing like you know the shit the clan Stochastic pulled during terrorism. Reconstruction. Yeah, like the shit the clan pulled during Reconstruction, the first
2: clan. So, and of course, things are popping off in Portland, but it's as usual. It's not us; it's the pigs. The P.P.B. They are what they are. Yep, and what they are.
1: I mean, they're one of the most it's... heavily militarized units and experienced police units. In the United States. Yeah. Like, if you're looking for anybody who's going to be the vanguard of the Free Corps in the United States, we're talking about the Portland Police Bureau.
0: Yeah. And, but, they've also, you know, they, they, like, the jail got burned and sacked, so they're not invulnerable either. Um, No. But unfortunately, it seems like Israel is acting like they are. So everybody remembers the whole thing with Netanyahu and Benny Gantz going into the election, that Benny Gantz is being held up as, like, the reasonable centrist, like, the compromise candidate who could, like, unite enough of Israel to end Netanyahu's criminality, like, if any of this sounds familiar, you know, <laughs> So they, they managed to get enough <laughs> seats to deny Netanyahu's Likud-led uh, coalition from ta- forming a government outright. And ultimately, Gantz's blue and white list formed a coalition with Netanyahu's Likud party list. So now he, it, Mr. I'm going to remove this corrupt, horrible lawbreaker, has like entered into a coalition government with him. And the Nesset has just uh, approved uh, formal annexation of the West Bank.
1: And the thing that makes me so angry about all of this is that people treated, like, Benny Gans as this unique example, as this, you know, person who would finally, as this great, wonderful person who would finally get Netanyahu... (laughs) Out of power, and they're literally—he's literally the same fucking asshole as Netanyahu. (laughs) This is literally like a precursor to our own election in the United States between Biden, a blue racist rapist, and Trump, a red racist rapist. Like people forget about Benny Gantz's record—is that he was literally a general in the fucking IDF? And has been spewing genocidal rhetoric against Palestinian for fucking years.
2: Like, they're Yeah. But his opposition is pretty much that yeah. Netanyahu is too much of a lib. That's basically what it comes down to. I it's it's absurd that anyone's holding him up as like, you know, some great savior of the Israel nation from the perfidious Netanyahu. I mean that's Come on, everyone... And the thing that just makes me so angry about all of this
1: is that, like, you know, most of the most of the population in Israel in Mm -hmm. Israel are Mizrahi and Sephardi Jews. And there's been, like, you've had, like, Mizrahi and Sephardi activists who have been doing, like, leftist organizing for years and years and years. But because of how racist the Ashkenazi left is, in Israel and Palestine. Like, basically, Sephardi and Mizrahi leftists basically get kicked out of any sort of, like, prominent position within leftist organizing in Israel-Palestine. And because of this isolation and alienation, like, you get a lot of, like, Mizrahim and Sephardim going to the right instead. All literally because of this long legacy of, of racism towards Mizrahi and Sephardi Jews in Israel, like we could have actually, you know, ha- you know, built some fucking hope in Israel to actually, you know, end not just the occupation but the colonial state itself. But that really requires the Ashkenazi left getting their fucking head out of their fucking asses. And I say this as a fucking Sephardi Jew who's seen like Sephardim and Mizrahim fucked over for decades and decades.
0: Yeah. And all this is going to do in Palestine is the, like, Fatah is basically going to be dead at this point. Like, any pretense of legitimacy or any use in taking an even vaguely, like, conciliatory approach towards Israel comparatively to, like, say, Hamas is going to be completely gone. Like, because it has led to this. Like, it's a colonization and full annexation and it has done nothing for the Palestinian people to alleviate their circumstances at all. Um, Gaza is... Fuck. I don't even want to think about what's going to happen there. Like, after caste-led, the United Nations was saying that Gaza is, like, on the edge of becoming a humanitarian crisis of Unprecedented proportions within five years if the infrastructure is not repaired and the blockade isn't lifted.
1: I mean, I hate to fucking say this, but you know, sooner or later we're gonna see another wave, another wave of the of like Palestinian diaspora into the rest of the world because yeah. of this continued siege of of Gaza for decades mm-hmm. and decades.
0: Yeah that's this is going to get and there will be an intifada yeah that's inevitable at this point there will be an intifada and i wouldn't be surprised if there's elements of uh netanyahu's party who are looking forward to it you know i wouldn't be surprised
1: like honest honestly like my my hope whether this hope is fulfilled or not which i'm kind of skeptical is that um the egyptian left and in their parliament manages to seize enough of like foreign policy control from uh from sisi and i can actually you know push towards a pro-palestinian like foreign policy instead of the weird ass like five-dimensional chess that CC is doing and being friendly towards Israel right now.
0: Yeah. So it's... Yeah. That's just gonna get... But that's, like, not the only way that things are flaring up. Like, as twisted as it is that we're going to see, like, mm-hmm. the most likely bloody end of like the formal like sense of there being a Palestinian state
2: mm-hmm.
0: or there being a binational national solution um, being a two-state solution. Sorry. Um,
1: and Miss Silver, do you hear that in the distance? It sounds like, is that a horse coming? Is that the black horseman? Yeah,
2: it's the black horseman. All right. And with him, brings unemployment funding, or the lack thereof. You see, they've gotten it into their heads that, well, you know, the Trump won't be reelected if they pass it. Well, if they pass like an extension. So what they've decided is. You know, that 600 a week burning bucks that's keeping everything from, you know, not completely burning it, down? Yeah, we're, it, we're it, just going to let it expire. They're not the just letting it month. expire, they're actively just fighting it expire. to kill it.
0: Like we don't give a Trump sure. economic advisor Stephen Moore had this to say about it.
2: My message to the White House is, if you want to lose the election, yeah. extend the $600 unemployment yeah. oh benefit.
1: Fucking
0: ass God. Yeah. Do,
1: do they hear themselves?
0: It, the, 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 those whom the gods destroy, they first strike mad.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, ain't that the truth. It feels like Mary Antoinette yeah. has fucking yeah. possessed, like, the entire White House. Sucked.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, Mary Antoinette at least had one thing going for her. You know, she just genuinely was so out of touch that she didn't. know. Yeah. She didn't know that commoners needed bread. Yeah. Like uh, that was that was. Uh, That was the, uh, you know, brain trust behind the royalty back then. Yeah. Yeah. Here, it's... We don't care. We don't care. This is calculated, like,
0: Dickensian mustache twirling shit. This is just... There's something almost spiteful to it, really.
1: Mm -hmm. Can, Can I mention here, like... I fucking hate Charles Dickens writing. So to yep. be- the fact that we're in a fucking Dick- Dickensian fucking novel at this moment in time, where we have like literal like Victorian evil villains that would ra- cause that want to cause significant amount of devastation to the real economy is. I hate this. I hate this. I want the escape hatch. Literally. If anybody has an escape hatch, I will take it because this is the economic, the economic consequences that this is going to have on people (laughs) when they don't have that guarantee. It's, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really, really, really fucking bad. Like the free fall is going to start in August, but it's not going to stop in September. It's going to continue faster and faster
0: and faster. especially because this money hasn't even been properly rolled out like we've reported on this before that like a appalling something like only like 40 percent of americans have actually even received like you know the trump bucks or like any of these benefits that are going out and there's like constant reports of like unemployment hotlines being like impossible to reach and like state like labor unemployment department websites just straight up crashing on a regular basis so you know. This is the context in which we're losing the six hundred a month extra on top of all of this shit.
2: Yeah. And it's like the the extra six hundred a month has sixty percent support. Like that's
1: <laughs> And the thing is, once you start a benefit to help people out, taking it back it, it's much harder to take it back, and if you take it back, the re- the reaction that you are going to get from people will. It's not. There's not an if that it, if it is going to be bad or not, or if it is going to be intense or not, it is going to be bad. It is going to be intense. We're already seeing massive uprisings all across the United States. This is only going to add more gasoline to the fucking fire, and that's not to mention that like the world. That the UN just recently said that the world is facing its worst food crisis in 50 fucking years.
0: And, and this is going to, only, and for like a special shout out on top of that, is the American grain and corn belt throughout the Mississippi is one of the things that's holding up the global food system. So we've got we're going to be seeing things like farms failing and rising unemployment and crops not being left to rot in the field, bef- and you know whatever the fuck happens with hurricane and flood season this year. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean we talked about this a lot last week, and nothing has changed. It's all just gone slightly worse. Nothing has changed. That's. I, I don't know how else to say it. Like these, these people do not have our best interests in mind.
1: They because are literally going <laughs> to your front door and giving you a, a petition that says, do you want to guillotine them? Like, that is how bad it is. They are literally asking for guillotines in Minecraft.
2: Yes, yes. They want to be parody redacted in Minecraft. Like, this is this is total death seeker behavior.
0: Yeah. It's they really believe their own bullshit. They really think that this will work. Um Like I mean, like, the fact that you're seeing shit like Kamala Harris now, like, supporting UBI, for example, I think is because a sum, enough of the capitalist class still has, like, you know, a vestigial, like, sense memory of, you know, once upon a time when we really, like, lit all the guillotine insurance on fire, the poorest tried to kill us, um...
2: And in some cases, they actually succeeded. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so a couple of them seem to be, like, starting to cotton on to how bad shit is. And, like, David Brooks actually acknowledged that we're facing, like, multiple crises now. Like, I mean, his analysis was mostly, oh my god, social justice warriors. So it was mostly bullshit. But, you know, he can read the fucking writing on the wall. David fucking Brooks can see it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, so Doc, silver. Do you want to talk about yeah, all the fun normal ones that are happening between China and India?
0: <sighs> this is the stupidest timeline.
2: Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, this is, like like Francis said during the interview, this is like the paragraph before um, the war starts on Wikipedia.
1: Nobody likes to and be in the cool zone. I don't it like it.
2: Sucks. I really yeah. don't like it. <laughs> this... I mean, it's like, all three players, and let's... Honestly, when it comes to... Chinese-Indian disputes, Pakistan is pretty much always going to be a player, especially because of all the shit that went down um, all those years ago, back in January.
1: Wasn't that like a century ago?
0: That's like, what it feels Jesus, like. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> Seriously. Like, I mean, like, the fact that, like, Iran is trying to get a red notice on Trump over bombing Suleimani is like holy shit that actually happened in the same year as this.
2: Yeah, The Suleimani happened this year. So what exactly? Are we on talk.
1: So what exactly is happening w- between China and India right now? I mean, I know that they had this glorified football like riot like melee battle that happened between them, but you know how but apparently it's escalating. How is it escalating? And, you know, what dark depths are we descending to?
0: Well, India has officially banned TikTok and a whole slew of other major Chinese apps on the grounds that they are a national security risk. Um, They are mandating additional checks on incoming cargo from China and are basically doing a bunch of, like, this isn't like, this is all stuff that, you know, nation states can do in the realm of, you know, international diplomacy. It's just usually they haven't done this during this whole, like, period of neoliberal globalization, because that means shooting your trade in the foot. And no one wants to do that, um, because that's what that flavor of brain worms told you to do. Um, so, but that doesn't change the... The fact that India is doing this shit is now like putting pressure on Chinese revenues and exports. And China is in, again, a stronger position than India to be able to absorb this. I mean, at this point, I don't think Beijing really wants a trade war with the United States and India at the same time because nobody's going to win that one. But,
1: you know, it looks like. Nobody's going to win that, but China has the capacity to lose the
0: least. Exactly. They'll still have like a recognizable state when it's over. Like the same party will still be in power when all's said and done.
2: Uh, also, they don't want to draw. They don't want yeah. any sort of U.S.-Indian um, military alliance. Um, that would be that would actually be a huge problem for for Chinese interests. Let's be blunt. Um. <laughs> well, you know, if we're going to go for maximum stupid yeah. in this
0: timeline, let's take note of all the, like, you know, uh, gooey eyes that Trump has been making at Modi ever since he got elected.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And all this, like, active cultivation of that relationship. And Trump now being angry and desperate and really probably unbelievably pissed off that his rally was a wet fart Um, and doing the whole narcissist thing of blaming his followers. Like, I could see him doing something really dumb that escalates this needlessly.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, like, you know, it might look like uh, this, like, escalating tension between China and India. You know, even if it were to turn into war, it would just be a glorified lab fight and some of the worst conditions you could have a war in, aka the Himalayas. Like, unless you have, you know, llamas equipped with lasers, you're not going to win this battle. And unfortunately we do not have that weapon to surpass Metal Gear. But that's the thing. I don't think if there were if this were to escalate between China and India, I don't think it would necessarily be a direct conflict because China does not necessarily have to do that. They can just Send a lot of support to Pakistan.
2: I mean, after all, the JF seventeen, um, they have a joint fighter program. Um, it's a light export fighter. It's actually a pretty good uh, supersonic single uh, single engine fighter. I'm uh, me and a bunch of military nerds are actually pretty impressed with it, but it's the thing of it is, is that Pakistan already is pretty annoyed with India over several things. Um, we don't really have time to get into all of that, but it's worth noting that, like, there are already tensions between India and Pakistan, and if China really wants to exploit that militarily, um, they could very well push Pakistan into um, into escalating their own conflicts with India. I don't. I don't necessarily think that would happen, but they have the option.
0: Like I think China would do that in response to India escalating militarily, and I don't think India is going to immediately go to that because they had options for immediate military escalation on the ground. If Modi wanted to, he could have said, okay, enough of this stupid slap fight shit. I want you to actually, like, load some live ammunition and shoot some people. Um, He could have, you know, actually done something like that. Instead, he's going with a trade war, which is still stupid, but at least lets him look like he's doing something. So I don't, like, I don't think his first impulse is going to be to escalate through force, partly because he has at least three brain cells to rub together, it seems. I mean, Modi's not, like, I mean, Modi's a fucking fascist prick, like, not, like, no question about it, but Modi seems to be a, like, marginally competent fascist prick, unlike, you know, Trump or Bolsonaro.
1: There, There is the but here, though, is economic conditions and conditions around the fucking pandemic get worse and worse in India, that there, that, Unrest against the Modi regime in India gets worse and worse. I could totally see Modi escalating the, you know, current trade war to something far worse. Perhaps not nuclear, but you know, the go-to for every fascist when they're having an internal crisis is to go towards yeah. war. And yeah. if things get worse, like this, you know, he is going to cover for his pride.
0: Yeah. Especially because he's already facing, like, record-setting, like, national labor strikes and significant opposition to, like, stripping citizenship from Muslims in India. So, you know.
2: Yeah, and I should also point out that part of the way that they're actually enforcing the trade war against China is... You guessed it, it's a nationalist campi- uh, campaign to yeah. buy local.
0: I mean, as far as... And yeah, we all know what that means. Um, yeah. like As far as like, trade war policies go, that is pretty... It's fairly like,
2: deliberate.
0: <laughs> that's pretty low intensity there. Like, he's not, like, slapping tariffs or anything. He's just, like, looking for an excuse to encourage, like, yeah. you know, the growth of domestic industry. Just, you know, any reasonably competent, like, capitalist politician should be
2: doing that. Yeah. And. Yeah, we point this out mainly to say that, you know, like the coronavirus story originally was for us, that this is something you should pay attention to. Um you know, outside of <laughs> the present. I hey, mean, who knows? Maybe know, collapse we could of get American A situation
0: where Trump tries to order like the U.S. Pacific Fleet into action in the South China Sea in support of Modi, and they revolt and sail on like San Francisco Bay. Um, <laughs> I mean,
1: the thing is, we were just a Navy revolt, they wouldn't necessarily (laughs) be sailing towards San Francisco Bay. They first would be sailing towards uh, San Diego, as San Diego is the premier port of the Navy on the West Coast. So, they're going to first consolidate their... If they were to do anything, they would first consolidate their position in Southern California. Then they would move north.
2: (laughs) And, on the horizon... (laughs) One last horse. The Pale Rider. So, in (sighs) fact...
1: So, anyways, this comes to Wirecard, and this is a one big fucking shit show. So, Doc, do you remember how uh, back in, you know, millennia ago, in the early 2000s, there was the dot-com boom, and towards the latter stages of it, there was so oh, much wild sure. shit that was going on. D- do you want to know that... Did you know that there were survivors, you know, who did the wild shit that, you know, managed to, like, survive the dot-com boom? And one of those companies, which was founded back in 1999, was Wirecard, which basically arose for as a payment processor and collecting, like, credit card information. So, the thing is, they almost failed in 2002, but Marcus but Marcus Braun, a former consultant at KPMG, this accounting and auditing firm that has a load of scandals, you know, in its history of doing really, really, really bad shits, uh, Marcus Braun came out of KPMG uh, and basically saved Wirecard from being saved, from be- failing. And he became the CEO and merged it with another company called Electric Business Systems. And the thing I find h- extremely fucking hilarious is that Wirecard right. never had an IPO when they first got onto the stock market in Frankfurt. The thing is, with an IPO, that usually involves that there's going to be some public scrutiny, like of, of you know, the financial accounts of a company. But basically, what Wirecard did is they joined the Frankfurt stock market by doing this weird ass reverse takeover of the listing of a Corpse call center group. And, you know, and basically, you know, they did that. And... So they are able to avoid any public scrutiny at all. Um, so around this time, they were mostly doing um, online gambling and a lot of porn yeah, and other do. very shady financial stuff. This was um, in, though, porn's not necessarily um, shady.
2: When was this, basically? Um, I get. I guess I have a couple questions. Like, when did um, this reverse takeover? First off, what the fuck is a reverse takeover? We know what it is, but uh, would you mind explaining that for our audience, um, in a little more depth? Uh, Doc, you probably know more about what
1: a reverse takeover is than I do.
0: Because in a usual takeover, that's wh- like a hostile takeover. That's where you like stage a bidding war to seize a commanding majority of. So a reverse takeover is not like, you know, the inversion of a hostile takeover or something like that. Um, It's instead a kind of merger that allows a company to become publicly traded without having to go through an IPO. Um, And essentially what you do is if you're going to do a reverse takeover, the company buys enough shares to control a publicly traded company and then you exchange your equity for shares in that public company and there you go. You are effectively a publicly traded company without having to go through any of the hassle of you know making sure your books balance enough to survive an IPO.
1: So basically what happened here is we had this demon artifact that emerged out of the dark times of the dot-com boom They, and they managed to avoid scrutiny by, of their financial records by doing this reverse takeover at, so they could join the Frankfurt stock markets. And the thing is, it doesn't stop here. Um, back in about 2006, they moved into banking with the purchase of XCOM. So, unfortunately, if we get invaded by aliens, you know, They basically cut the alien fighting and and R&D of XCOM. So, sorry about that. Uh, But anyways, uh, basically, uh, with the purchase of XCOM, Wirecard basically got, you know, moved into banking and got licensed by Visa and MasterCard so they could issue credit cards and handle money on the behalf of merchants. Uh, But because, basically, they became this Frankensteinian alien hybrid of banking and non-banking operations, it made it very much harder to compare them to their peers like in the financial world. So it basically forced investors to rely on the company's own doctored financial statements.
0: It's fucking graft all the way down. Like, it? Take that in. <laughs> it's not turtles, it's graft. It's not turtles, it's graft.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's grabbed all the way down.
2: Yeah. It's worth noting that when they died, they had a market cap of 5 billion euros. That sounds like a lot of money. And to be honest, it kind of is. But it's not that much. More than I have. When you consider um, what the comparable companies in their sector are, like, say, PayPal. PayPal has a 200 billion dollar market cap. Wow. They actually turn a profit. What I'm saying is that if you actually look at their business model, depending on who you ask, it's either too large a company or too fucking small. Now how does this work? To be what it is. Like, this company yeah. does not make
1: sense. Like, they're so weird and oddly structured. So ba- back in 2008, the head of a German shareholder association basically published a report attacking Wirecard suggesting that they had balance sheet irregularities. And EY, uh, Ernst & Young, this like very well-known auditing firm in Germany, was appointed to conduct special auditing. Of course, they you know found nothing. Uh, they were probably paid to find nothing and two and two of the critics of Wirecard uh, that were part of the report were persecuted by German authorities. Wirecard literally walked away from all of this without a fucking
2: scratch. Yep. I mean they actually survived the 2008 collapse. Their their market cap just did not change. Such
0: amazing, and that
2: itself is a little suspicious.
1: A little suspicious. This is very.
0: In hindsight, it was pretty suspicious. Like they're not even pretending to care (laughs) about the farms anymore. It's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) No.
1: So back in 2010, I uh, cut the earlier bit that I just said, uh, Jan Marselect, uh who's an also Austrian, like Markus Brunn, the CEO, uh, the former CEO of Wirecard, uh, basically got his prodigy Jan Marselect, who knew a lot of bullshit around financial wizardry and made him the new CEO of Wirecard. And uh, this, was the to- this was around the same time that Fraud Monster Wirecard you know, has global aspirations and wanted to expand all around the world globally. So, of course, they could do more fraud. So, from 2011 to 2014, they basically raised about 500 million euros from global hack investors. They went on a shopping spree buying up a lot of obscure payment companies all across (laughs) Asia in very, very oddly structured (laughs) deals. And when you hear the when you hear oddly structured, <laughs> hear fraudulent. This is what I what I'm meaning. Like I was re- reading about the sort of deals that they were doing with all these different com- companies, and I literally had to fucking stop because it was like nails on chalkboard reading about all these janky ass weird deals with all these yeah. different companies. So they basically started, in, you know, making these deals in Singapore. Um, and had gullible vestors drawn to them like moths to an electric uh, killing lamp because of rapid sh- growth and uh, claims of superior payment yeah. technology.
0: Uh, and I'm sure the way they arranged this in Singapore was they like went down to the waterfront, they hanged left at the second seedy-looking establishment, popped on in and sidled up to the tattooed, eye-patched bartender, before asking in a loud, clear voice,
2: how might I procure some highly illegal services? (laughs) And it's like, I keep returning to this fucking point because it always fucking gets me, but the fact that they're expanding into the the Asian market is not in and of itself suspicious. A lot of fintech firms were doing this. It's just... How the fuck do you do that with only two billion in revenue per year? Yeah,
1: and like, keep in mind that all the deals that they were doing weren't the weren't the norm for the industry. They were incredibly oddly structured. So back in 2015, uh, the Financial start Times starts to get suspicious. Um, so they start investigating Investigating and raising questions about inconsistencies in the group's accounts, and basically alleged that there was a, they alleged that there was a two hundred and fifty euro million, like hole in their balance sheets. So basically, as a response, Wirecard hired Shillings, a UK law firm, an FDI consulting in London, to handle PR. You'd
0: pay for a whole school district with that <laughs> much
1: money. Yeah, with that fucking hole. And so then in October, Wirecard announced its largest ever takeover of Indian payment businesses in a three hundred and forty million euro deal. Um, and but and then. Later later on that year, in 2015, J Capital Research reported that Wirecard's operations are far smaller than it acclaims, and basically, Wirecard afterwards, after hearing about this report, basically fooled their gullible investors with a tour of their Asian offices, <laughs> which if you were invested in Wirecard at any point any point in time then well i have fucking bridges to sell you you are gullible you are naive you you're not even an asshole this you're is... just the sucker who is holding the bag for this fucking <laughs> awful company
0: this is like fucking fire festival shit
1: yes yes
2: it's incredible
1: so back in fucking 2016 there was a, there was a report uh released by this anonymous a group of short sellers called Zatara that Wirecard is laundering money. So as a result, Boffin, uh, Germany's you know. financial regulator, didn't they didn't investigate uh, Wirecard. They fucking investigated Zotara and other critics for and this is an air quotes mind you, market manipulation. And that's how they get on top of the fucking <laughs> shadow runner fucking shit. That cr- that critics were facing literal spear phishing attacks, from like from hackers. What? Yes, I'm not kidding you. Oh, like ju- uh, journalists, investors, anybody who is even slightly critical of Wirecard was literally get facing hacking attacks. Yes. So,
0: so they had the money to like have a Johnson set up a bunch of runners to take care of this, but they didn't have the money oh, to, shit. you know cover over, like, that gaping yeah. chest wound yeah. over there.
1: Yeah, it's... Like, this company is so incredibly suspicious that I don't think that they were just another bullshit financial, financial company. I do think that they were likely involved in espionage to some degree, but I'll get to that later on. Um, so back in 2016... In 2017... They got a clean audit, and that's in air quotes from uh, from mm-hmm. EY. Um, so basically, uh, a ca- wirecard was supposedly getting more cash generation, and so they were tricking their Rube investors in order to get mm-hmm. more investment. And they basically expanded into um, eleven cr- countries all across Asia by announcing a deal with Citigroup to take over payment processing operations. And at this time, uh, Marcus uh, Marcus Braun, the former CEO of Wirecard, basically using uh, uh, the stake that he had um, in um, Wirecard as collateral, got a 150 million euro deal uh, of loans from Deutsche Bank for Wirecard.
0: Nothing suspicious about getting money from Deutsche Bank. No, you know? not at all. Totally not. Like you know, it's not like they actively launder money for Russian oligarchs. I mean, you know, like how Wall Street launders money for cartels now and then. So I mean, that's totally you know <laughs> part of business, right?
1: So, back in March 2018, whistleblowers reported within Wirecard Singapore headquarters uh, alleging a plan to basically round trip money to India via third parties, and a probe was launched internally to investigate. So, for those who aren't familiar with round tripping, imagine you're on a desert island and there are two businessmen who have. who have like empty suitcases between them they, you know, they basically to round trip basically means that they'll switch the suitcases between them repeatedly alleging that they are making value out of continually switching the suitcases between them like, doctor, uh, the doc could give a more technical explanation of it, but keep in mind that ultimately this financial wizardry is fucking fraudulent bullshit designed to fuck you over and everybody that you know.
0: This is finances operating on the level of three-card Monty.
1: Yes, yes.
0: like Th- This is what this is. This is a shell game. Like ha- that, if that's what it has come down to.
1: Like if you've ever played any RPG or any like Fallout game and you've mac- maxed out your charisma, this is what Wirecard was doing. They basically had like a high charisma or a high like persuasion ch- uh, skill that they were that anytime anybody tried to get like accountability out of them, they would just you know automatically pass that like charisma check. And you get and get their critics per, like prosecuted instead.
0: Yeah, it's like the same shit that happened at the fucking fire festival, except instead of it being a bunch of like fucking yuppie scum with too much disposable income having to eat ham sandwiches, yeah. it's the global economy.
1: Yeah. So in August you know. 2018, Wirecard reached their peak for their shares of 191 euros per share. And in total, they were valued at 24 billion euros, but...
0: So, like, half of Mike Bloomberg. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. But they were likely making bogus claims about the size of their operation, how many employees they had, and how many headquarters that they have. So, you know, at at their height of their hubris, on September 28th, they basically got onto the DAX 30 Index, and what that means is that makes it an automatic investment for pension funds all around the fucking world. Like this, what you know, they were Europe's largest financial tech company. Like they were the fucking prod- prodigal yeah. son. I uh, didn't compare them to PayPal for PayPal. nothing. Yeah,
2: let's just say that. Which is why I'm so, so uh, Mr. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Mr. Braun basically blows some more hot air and says that. Uh, sales and profit will double in two years. Uh, it's been two years. I, I think but that there's been something that's happened with no. Wirecard that's not that. So, basically, in October 2018, the whistleblowers from Singapore contacted the Financial Times to say that the internal investigation of that round-trip allegation was squashed. So, in January 2019, Financial Times published a story on the Singapore investigations, and Wirecard obviously like says it's false. They freak out and they cry to Boffin, who literally investigates the Financial Time times for market manipulation, and that's in fucking air quotes because it's they were not trying to do any sort of market manipulation. So in Fev- fast forward to February of twenty nineteen. And Singapore Police actually do something useful and they raid Wirecard's offices. So, uh, Boff, Boffin, Germany's financial watchdog basically announces a two month ban on short selling because they're basically corrupt motherfuckers who say that Wirecard is their waifu and it needs to be protected because Wirecard shares fell below a hundred dollar, a hundred euros per share and oh also um, this is the bit where
0: uh, Wirecard is an important part of our culture uh, he's
2: going to burst a blood vessel because I insulted his waifu <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> <sighs> so
1: back in March uh, 2019 the financial times reported that half of Wirecard's business is was actually outsourced with payments processed handled by partners who'd pay Wirecard a commission, so Fire uh, the Financial Times basically wanted to find these partners. So, uh, and at one point, they went to the Philippines at to this address of a house of this Filipino fisherman who b- basically found out that his house is supposedly the site of an internal pit payment business. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So of course Wirecard freaking out about this announces that it's going to sue the Financial Times and then it sues Singapore for for doing that criminal investigation and then fast forward to April of 2019 the gullible full soft bank that will investigate into any con and any scam they basically invested about 900 million euros almost a billion euros to Wirecard Um, and um, basically the Financial Times found out that they had that Wirecard had about three partner companies in the Philippines Singapore and Dubai Um, of course EY sucks a dick of Wirecard and says that the 2018 accounts for Wirecard are all fine and dandy with minor reservations around Singapore Um, and Wirecard, you know, dealing with this bad PR announces that they're going to have a dozen new compliance measures, which I'm sure that they did shit about. Mm -hmm. Um, so in July of 2019, the Financial Times asked Wirecard about its relationship to its Dubai partner. Wirecard, in response, alleges the Financial Times (laughs) is colluding with short sellers Based on the tape from a sting operation by, and this is where we get deeper into shadow runner shit. Uh, 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 Rami El Obedi, the former head of foreign intelligence for Libya's National Transitional Council. <laughs> um, so, and yeah, uh, and that, that's not the last that we hear of this dude. So, the Financial Times gets a law firm in London to investigate all this and they find that the claims are baseless um
0: and th- so this so like what broke this shell game
2: in the end like at this oh, like
1: i am getting to that exciting part um, so wirecard issued about 500 million euros of bonds classified by, as investment grade by Moody's in 2019 in September um Credit Suisse uh, sell, sold uh, SoftBank's uh, 900 million convertible bond bond of euros. To other investigators, because that hot potato had to be juggled, and this is where Mr. L. OBD shows up again. When we get into some fucking shadow runner shit again, is he was literally uh, paying private investigators to conduct a massive surveillance operation targeting. London financial types, including Crispin OD, hedge fund manager who publicly shorted Wirecard. Uh, literal shadow runner type shits. And if you fi- if Wirecard is doing this, I can bet you that the majority of other financial companies like throughout the world are pulling their own like shadow runner bullshit. So, afterwards, financial, the Financial Times is served with court documents for misusing trade secrets in connection to the January and February articles that they ran. Of course, like Wirecard being big babies. Um, and this is when things start to tumble down. So, basically, the Financial Times in October 2019 published documents showing that profits at Wirecard units in Dubai and Dublin... I like that—that that, you know, They both start with a D, but anyways, were fraudulently inflated, uh, and the customers listed in the documents to EY did not exist. So Wirecard cries, you know, all, that it's innocent, and but under pressure from investors, gets KPMG to do a special audit of of Wirecard. So uh, back in uh, December of 2019, the Financial Time reports Wirecard counted cash held in escrow accounts managed by trustees within the, cash about, within the cash balance declared onto its own financial statement. So basically, this very special money that only trustees could do v- very, very specific things with, the Wirecard pretended that, that it was their own money. So in March of 2020, Twenty KPMG uh, that audit was supposed to conclude, but the publishing rate was publishing date was delayed to the end of April, and then on April twenty eighth of twenty twenty KPMG report published the audit report says that it couldn't verify that the arrangement made for Alliance share of Wirecard's profits between twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen were genuine, citing several obstacles. To its work, it couldn't verify that they even made a fucking profit at all, uh, and they also queried that about a hundred billion euros of cap on the cash balance of Wirecard. You know that they couldn't find it at all on the basis that the only evidence for this fucking sum of money were documents published by Singapore trustee by a Singapore trustee that had cut ties with Wirecard when the special audit begins. Like, that is suspicious on its own. Like, as soon as this audit begins, that Singapore trustee, like, completely cuts off ties. So, Mr. Braun says that everything's fine, don't look behind the curtain, it's all good. And this is when it starts to spiral. In June 5th of 2020 this year, uh, police searched, uh, Munich police searched Wirecard's office after Munich prosecutors launched a criminal investigation of CEO Marcus Braun and the payment group's uh, other three executive board members. The search followed criminal complaints submitted a few days uh, earlier by Boffin. You know, Boffin finally had to actually do some shifts. Uh, and And the complaint relates to Uh, misleading statements made uh, ahead of the publication of the KPMG report. Um, And then in June 16 of 2020 this year, Filipino banks, BPI and BPO informed EY that documents supposedly detailing about almost 2 billion euros in a bounce were spurious. Um, And <laughs> so on the 18th, Wirecard, you know, it was supposed to publish the audited results for 2019. They instead say that nearly 2 billion euros in, ca- in their cash balance is missing. So on the 19th, Marcus Brown resigns. Uh, James Frace becomes the interim CEO, and he is formerly the chief compliance officer. Um, and Wirecard says that it's in constructive talks with banks that have the right to terminate about two billion euros of loans due to a lack of audited books. So finally, like on June twenty second, Wirecard finally admits the fucking scam that they, that there was a scale a large scale of a multi year accounting fraud warning that about 2 billion euros of cash probably didn't exist. So on June 23rd, Mr. Braun was arrested on suspicion of false accounting and market ma- manipulation. Wirecard's former management board is also under investigation, and 4 days ago on the 25th, Wirecard it will be fi- like filed for insolvency. <laughs>
2: Oh my god like the
1: thing that i find so wow. incredibly fucked up about all of this is that they pretended that they had all this money that they didn't like even the shadow stuff it's like i kind of expect that uh-huh. shit but the thing is if like people like trump who's a fucking dodo and wirecard can get away with doing this shit for years like, what does that say about every other fucking financial company, or just really any other fucking megacorporation throughout the world? Yeah. Like, I don't think Wirecard is some sort of unique example here. I think that they're the like canary in the coal mine. Like recently,
0: uh, I mean, let's like as like just you know a reality check on that is Donald Trump, who as we have very firmly established on this show, is a colossal moron and a bit of a spoiled man-child managed to make it work in this market, Mm -hmm. in this system. So, of course, this kind of wired car shit is like, you know, which is like, you know, demonstrates a level of thought beyond that.
1: So, there was an article on the Financial Times talking about what are the twenty warning signs for the next big disaster comparable to Wirecard? And I find this a very interesting list because this describes about nearly every mega corporation around right now. Number one, a massively promotional CEO who actively looks for publicity and spends a lot of time courting Wall Street investors, etc., and is very media savvy. <coughs> Elon Musk, <coughs> um, also Nikola. Uh, huge CEO senior management compensation package not tied to cash flow or earnings, but just the sales and or the stock price, creating the possibility of egregious wealth creation if the stock goes up a lot. Huge pledging of collateral by the CEO in return for margin loans to fund a billionaire lifestyle. Number three, management compensation generally way out of line with peers, despite noticeably less co- profitability. Number four. Lossy future projections that have a habit over a long period of being proven to be too optimistic. Number five, questionable product quality, i.e. defects, or debatable technological leads over other similar products. Number six, some evidence of self-certifying, whether it be through strange international subsidiaries, or not having an auditor or experiencing unusual and slightly sudden end-of-quarter surges in revenues up to and including the last day. Number seven, unusual or unverified large receivables in a business where the product is exchanged for cash upfront. Eight, evidence that the company is existing on a shoestring, not paying suppliers, employees, landlords, etc. Number nine, unusual margin progression with CG plus A going down over time despite a rising global footprint or GM staying flat despite much lower ASPs over time, yeah. for instance. Number ten, High levels of gross debt and cash balance not matched by noticeable interest income, thereby suggesting that they are fraudulent. Hmm, it, I wonder you know, how many companies are leveraged up to their wazoo right now. Uh, high employee turnover, especially in the legal and financial areas, co-founders or board members leaving. I've heard a lot of reports about a lot of financial types like leaving corporations recently. Uh, aggr- number 12, aggressive pursuit via paid third parties and or heavies of any critics or people who have too many questions, which in any case are boring. 13, a dislike of hedge funds. Oh, that's reasonable. I dislike hedge funds. Uh, 14, possible narcissistic personality disorder on the part of the CEO. Additional <laughs> points if he or she uses Twitter a lot. <coughs> Elon Musk. <coughs> <coughs> <laughs> 15. A large cabal of outcast weirdos, bloggers, and Twitter groups who have been saying for years that everything is amiss but just get a lot of criticism because the stock keeps going up. Ergo, they must be fucking idiots. Number 16. Slowing top line growth rate despite all the hoopla and supposed growth stock status. Evidence of competitors rapidly eroding unsustainably high market share. Number 17, loss-making, ideally never making a profit, but likes to pretend it did or failing that, that it will be for sure in two to three years due to highly questionable new products. By the two to three years, it gets pushed out constantly. That's almost like the entirety of the tech industry. 18, extensive okay, use or exclusive just- use of non-GAAP accounting and occasional bridging to get from a net loss to a small net profit via poorly explained one-offs, other items, unusually large credits of some kind in a desperate attempt to get into an indi- index by illicit means, a weak board, preferably also small and ideally in hock in some way to the CEO, who therefore do his, his or her or their bidding, helps if some of them are physically related to the CEO, and last but not least, 20, a gullible media, gullible analyst, and dozens of paid bloggers who pr- produce price targets out of nowhere based on opinion value, or put another way, products that are at least five fucking years away from having any material fucking impact. Like, this describes nearly every fucking mega corporation that is doing anything right now. It's, like, it's, it's a lo- too long yeah, it's list. It's for the course. But I listed yeah. it because this is because what we're seeing with Wirecard, it's not unique. Everybody's doing <laughs> this shit. And that's yeah. dangerous, because yeah. all it takes is somebody calling the bluff, and the entire thing falls down. Especially if the money well, printer like jams yeah. up. Ah.
2: Uh, one thing that's like really weirding me out about Wirecard is the numbers that um, are shown on Wikipedia for their uh, financial data. Um, basically, from what I'm looking at, none of this makes any sense. Their their assets are growing by leaps and bounds every year without any sort of revenue to support it, which means, you know, they're leveraged up to their eyeballs, or it's out-and-out fraud. Or both. Or both. I like both. But it's like, how do you jump from 1.4 billion in assets to 2 billion in assets in a year on 482 million uh, euros of revenue? That doesn't make any sense.
1: This company does not make fucking sense.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, and, like, if we're gonna... And when so many of these companies are this fucked, it really... Like, absolute pits of capitalist hell would be... Well, remember how we outlined the dollar (laughs) crashing? On... June 29th, Noah Smith with Bloomberg Opinion writes Coronavirus brings American decline out in the open. And in this article, which you can find on Bloomberg, we have a link for it in the description, he point by point describes exactly what we outlined last week in describing a potential collapse of the dollar. It's. The same kind of <laughs> continuous <laughs> deterioration of investment, deterior- continuous capitalist, capital flight, continued disincentive
2: to invest. So...
1: Bloom- Bloomberg opinion is not saying that we're in late stage capitalism anymore. It's saying that we're in terminal stage capitalism and we are falling down the roller coaster. We are in free and fall. And someone
2: like Noah Smith can say that. Yeah. We're not crazy, like even even the shit lips are starting to so, realize something's wrong. Then we're not
0: crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like if David Brooks and Noah Smith <laughs> are confirming what we're
2: seeing, are we? God, yeah. this is...
0: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's happening.
1: The The only thing that comes to mind right now is Invader Z- Zoom, and the first episode where Ger is basically going, Doom, 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 doom. It's just, I have the Doom song stuck in my head. This
0: is... Yeah.
2: <sighs> yeah.
0: This is like, this. American capitalism is entering a term yeah. of crisis, and,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, saying that out loud is important, because once we can say that, we can start talking about what we're going to replace it with. And as much as people need to be out in the street and organizing their communities, we also need to be not just preparing to handle what's immediately coming, we need to talk about what's going to come after. Because there's absolutely no way, and we've established this before, that this... Like Obama era thing that Biden is running on is ever going to come back? That's gone. That is like ash in the wind. Like Hillary Clinton getting elected no. in twenty sixteen might have like and the thing is like it out for another couple of years, but it's not coming back at all. Yeah. So
1: and the thing is, even if Biden gets into power, that comes with Larry Summers. The guy who literally is responsible for killing millions and millions and millions of people of the former USSR. And this is the guy that we want to have in charge of financial shit Without when an endemic, literally the everything is collapsing? Fuck that noise. We need to build so. a better fucking world. You know, Our power is in each other and all we have to do is organize that. Look for the fractures. Look for the weak points. Make sure your organizations are strong and go down like a hammer on those fractures, on those weak points because things are collapsing and we have to be building a better world. A world to come.
0: And there's already people who have ideas and theories and like you know, it can be anything from like a local just transition group to um, like specific caucuses that are like working within like associated with like the Black Lives Matter movement um, and all these other groups that are actively going, well, how do we make this work? What does this look like? And there's a lot of good stuff out there. We can actually do this like by the numbers. We could have a society where everybody works 20 hours a week the most awful labor is handled by robots and everyone has the free time to do whatever it is they want. And that could be do art or science or come up with the next great discovery. Or, you know, if they want to sit around and like game all day or whatever, um, you know, it would like, we have the capacity to live in a world where human want and human need are things of the past we could actually do that. Like, by the numbers, in terms of resource production, distribution, inefficiencies, everything, we could do it. If it wasn't being sucked up by a bunch of fucking bloated ticks who need ten houses on the Spanish Riviera.
1: And speaking of houses, these are people that have addresses in Minecraft. These these are invulnerable gods. And even if you know, the system as a whole can appear like some, like, cold, distant, judgmental god who wants to destroy this entire planet. Just remember that even gods can bleed. We can bring these fuckers down. There's the whole Ursula Le Guin quote that during feudalism, and I'm going to paraphrase this, during feudalism, everybody thought the divine right of kings was, you know, was solid that could it could not be brought down, but it was brought by it was brought down by human hands and capitalism and white supremacy and all of these systems can be brought down by human hands. They were built by human hands and they can be brought down by human hands. And all we have to do and all we have to remember is we have nothing to lose but our chains.
2: Yeah,
0: so. From all of us at Chop Shop Economics. (laughs) Good luck out there.
2: (sighs) Bye, everyone. And remember, communism is free time and nothing else.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Solidarity forever, motherfuckers.